Hi, everyone. Welcome to the SNC Critical Insights Podcast. This is Connor Schillerstrom, a special counsel resident in our Sydney office. I'm joined by my colleagues, John Anselmi, a special counsel in our Melbourne office. Hi, Connor. I'm looking forward to our discussion today. And Sam Saunders, a special counsel based in New York. Hi, Connor. Hi, John. There continues to be a significant focus on critical minerals in the context of global decarbonization. Both Australia and the U.S. are seeking to be global leaders in the clean energy transition, with each setting ambitious emissions reduction targets, 50% below 2005 levels by 2030 for the U.S. and 43% for Australia. The Australian government recently published its critical mineral strategy, which sets out the government's vision to grow Australia's critical mineral sector and make Australia a critical mineral superpower. There are a range of views on whether the critical mineral strategy is sufficient to achieve the government's goal. There have been many comparisons in the press and elsewhere to laws and policies implemented by other countries, chief among them the U.S.'s Inflation Reduction Act. While capital is available through the Northern Australia Infrastructure Fund, the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, and the National Reconstruction Fund, it has been acknowledged that Australia cannot fully compete with the level of subsidies and incentives being offered in the U.S. and the EU. We've had a number of conversations with clients, industry participants, and peers about what the IRA and other government actions mean for Australia, particularly after President Biden and Prime Minister Albanese signed the Australia-United States Climate, Critical Minerals, and Clean Energy Transformation Compact in May. And in mid-August, the Australian Labour Party Conference passed a motion for Australia to pursue its own version of the IRA, pointing to the 2 to 3% of GDP committed to in the US, Europe, and Canada as a potential guide to funding the measure. It therefore seemed like the perfect time to sit down and discuss some of our thoughts on how Australia might benefit from the compact, the possible designation of Australia as a domestic source for purposes of the U.S. Defense Production Act, and the Inflation Reduction Act. John, could you start us off with a discussion on the compact? Connor, as you mentioned, on May 20th, 2023, during the G7 meetings in Japan, President Biden and Prime Minister Albanese announced the formation of the Australia-United States Climate, Critical Minerals, and Clean Energy Transformation Compact, as well as President Biden's intention to ask Congress to designate Australia as a domestic source under the Defense Production Act, which is also known as the DPA. We've heard from a number of people who associate the compact and the potential designation of Australia as a domestic source under the DPA as a direct path for Australia to benefit from the Inflation Reduction Act. While the compact and the IRA are both part of the Biden administration's climate and defense policy, there are distinctions that are important from an Australian perspective, particularly for Australian companies with no assets or operations in the US. Hopefully we'll be able to shed some light on that today. The compact is an agreement of strategic direction that is light on details. It's a big picture statement of intent between the two countries to, and I'm quoting, deepen cooperation to deliver sustainable, resilient, and secure critical minerals and clean energy to the world and reduce emissions. It positions climate as a central pillar of the Australian-American alliance alongside defense and economic cooperation. It is a vow from both countries to work together to reduce the cost of clean energy technologies and lay the foundation for the global clean energy economy. The compact states that it is intended to develop and expand reliable, responsible, and secure global access to critical minerals, which perhaps reveals the compact's implicit goal of creating a clean energy supply chain that is not dependent on China. 
which currently controls or aims to control many aspects of minerals required for the clean energy transition, including critical minerals supply and processing technologies. The U.S. also entered into a similar agreement with the United Kingdom, known as the U.S.-U.K. Critical Minerals Agreement, in June 2023. The next step the compact identifies is for Australia and the U.S. to establish the Clean Energy Industrial Forum, the purpose of which is to set the core objectives of the Australia-United States Task Force on Critical Minerals. The goal is that the task force identify concrete actions that can be taken towards achieving the compact objectives within 12 months, which would be May 2024, and which may require legislation or regulatory rulemaking in either or both countries. Connor, perhaps you could elaborate on how Australian critical minerals and clean energy participants might benefit from what comes from the compact. Well, John, the key upside would be for the task force to figure out how to best facilitate the investment of public and private U.S. money into Australia and Australian companies. This could include investments into Australian mines, processing facilities, and technologies, as the U.S. looks to secure important supply chains, especially critical minerals required in battery production, and invest in the development of novel battery technologies and green hydrogen technologies. Exactly which part of the clean energy supply chain any U.S. public investment would be focused on is still to be determined. It stands to reason that the U.S. could be more focused on potential investments in the extraction of critical minerals in short supply in America, rather than critical minerals processing facilities, which it is trying to develop domestically. In mid-August, Australian Federal Resources Minister Madeleine King said she was traveling to the U.S. for a new round of negotiations with the Biden administration and noted she would encourage officials to support more downstream processing in Australia under the compact. The compact also aspires to facilitate cooperation between private companies in the two countries. Although not directly related to the compact, an example of what the compact would like to promote is a deal announced in early August, where Australian company Australia Strategic Materials signed a five-year deal to supply an alloy to American company USA Rare Earth LLC, which produces magnets for electric vehicles and wind turbines at its Oklahoma plant. We'll be keeping an eye out for any developments or announcements regarding the compact, including on the former task force, in the coming months. As mentioned earlier, a key part of the compact is President Biden's request to designate Australia as a domestic source under the Defense Production Act. John, can you give us some background on the DPA? Absolutely. At the time the compact was announced, President Biden stated his plan to ask the United States Congress to add Australia as a domestic source within the meaning of Title III of the U.S. Defense Production Act. One of the stated purposes of seeking this designation under the DPA is to build new opportunities for United States investment in the production and purchase of Australian critical minerals, critical technologies, and other strategic sectors. The DPA was adopted in 1950 to ensure the availability of material for military defense during the Korean War. Title III of the DPA authorizes the U.S. president to provide incentives to domestic sources to create, expand, or preserve domestic industrial manufacturing capabilities for industrial resources, technologies, and materials that are critical to meet national security requirements. In order to appropriate DPA funds to a resource or technology item, the president must first issue a presidential determination that it is essential for national defense and that industry cannot or will not provide the needed capacity in a reasonable time without Title III assistance. President Biden has already made a presidential determination that meeting the requirements of the clean energy economy, such as the production of large-scale batteries, is essential to the U.S.'s national security 
and the development and preservation of domestic critical infrastructure. In that same determination, President Biden noted, and again, I'm quoting here, the United States depends on unreliable foreign sources for many of the strategic and critical minerals necessary for the clean energy transition, such as lithium, nickel, cobalt, graphite, and manganese for large capacity batteries. Demand for these materials is projected to increase exponentially as the world transitions to a clean energy economy. To promote the national defense, the United States must secure reliable and sustainable supply of such strategic and critical materials. Title III allows the president to make purchases of such materials, make purchase commitments for such materials, which is to say, commit to purchase materials if the producer cannot otherwise sell them, and also to provide loans, loan guarantees, grants, and subsidies to domestic sources. Under the DPA, a domestic source is a business that performs in the United States or Canada substantially all of the research and development, engineering, manufacturing, and production activities required under a contract with the United States relating to a critical component or a critical technology item, and which procures substantially all of any components and assemblies required under that contract. John, maybe you could take us through how Australian companies might benefit from being designated as a domestic source. Well, practically speaking, Connor, Australian companies could benefit in multiple ways if the U.S. Congress approves the addition of Australia as a domestic source under the DPA. It would allow companies, facilities, and industry within Australia to benefit from the DPA when operating under certain contracts with the U.S. government. Any Australian company that manufactures what the U.S. government determines to be a critical component or a critical technology item could benefit directly from contracts with the U.S. Department of Defense, as long as the company and its suppliers meet the definition of domestic source. Australian companies that provide critical components, such as critical minerals used in large capacity batteries, or critical technology items could also benefit. In addition, Australian producers of critical minerals would be eligible to apply for grants, loans, loan guarantees, and other programs provided by the U.S. Department of Defense under the DPA. It's worth noting that the DPA focuses on the location of the R&D, engineering, manufacturing, and production activities. Thus, classifying Australia as a domestic source could also encourage investment in Australia by non-Australian companies, since carrying out those activities in Australia could qualify under Title III of the DPA. The scale of what's required for the battery supply chain is well beyond what the U.S. can produce right now, and the desire to de-risk from China is consistent across the American political spectrum. So it would appear that allowing the U.S. to invest in the production and purchase of Australian critical minerals and technologies may be one area where there is bipartisan agreement in Washington, although, as we'll mention later, it's still to be seen if that's the case. In line with the president's intentions, the Pentagon requested Congress to designate Australia and the UK as domestic sources through the National Defense Authorization Act, which is a bill passed by Congress every year with the annual budget and expenditures appropriated for the US Department of Defense. The House and Senate have passed two different versions of this bill, with the Senate version including the domestic source designation, but the House version does not include the designation. So the next step is for Congress to form a conference committee with members from the House and Senate to agree to a compromise bill. That is due to happen in September. We're tracking that process, and we'll see if the domestic source designation makes it into the final version of the bill. Connor, back to you. Thanks, John. So the third topic we wanted to discuss is the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act. The act was passed in August 2022 and provides $369 billion in subsidies and incentives 
and $250 billion in low interest loans to tackle climate change and increase investments in renewable energy and electric vehicles. As US Ambassador to Australia, Caroline Kennedy noted in an opinion piece published in the Australian Financial Review in mid-August, the US has invested more than five and a half billion Australian dollars in Australia's critical minerals and clean tech sector since the IRA became law. This includes investment into Australia, such as General Motors' $100 million investment in Australian minerals processing company, Queensland Pacific Metals for its Townsville Energy Chemical Hub project, and US-based lithium refiner, Albemarle's announcement that it plans to double production capacity at its lithium hydroxide processing plant in Western Australia. It also includes investment into the US assets of Australian companies, such as Linus Rarer's investment from the US Department of Defense were several hundred million dollars towards building a heavy rare earths processing facility in Texas. Now, all those deals have all been announced since the IRA became law. None were directly attributable to the IRA, whose direct benefits are largely limited to investments made in the U.S. However, some Australian companies with operations in the U.S. have already received loans under the IRA. For example, Australian miner Ioneer received a billion-dollar loan from the U.S. Department of Energy to expand its lithium mine and processing operations in the U.S., and Sierra Technologies received a $140 million loan from the Department of Energy to invest in its processing facility for graphite-based active ANO material for lithium-ion batteries in Louisiana. Sam, let's bring you in to give us an overview of what sort of loans and tax credits under the IRA are available for critical minerals projects in particular. Thanks, Connor. I'll start with an overview of the available federal loans. The IRA and other recent legislation, such as the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, have significantly expanded the lending authority of the U.S. Department of Energy's Loan Program Office. And the Loan Program Office can provide long-term debt financing for large-scale critical minerals projects at attractive rates, provided that they're in the U.S. So two key funding programs for these types of projects are the Advanced Technology Vehicle Manufacturing Program, or the ATVM, and the Title 17 Innovative Energy Loan Program. So under the ATVM, automobile manufacturers and materials manufacturers are eligible to obtain direct loans from the federal government for projects that produce ultra-efficient vehicles that meet certain fuel standards. The facilities that process critical minerals that are then used in electric vehicle batteries can qualify under this program, which currently has over $40 billion worth of capacity as of July, 2023. Then under the Title 17 program, projects that increase the domestic supply of critical minerals through the production, processing, manufacturing, recycling, or fabrication of mineral alternatives are eligible for government loan guarantees. And there's over 70 billion remaining statutory capacity in this program. And to qualify for this Title 17 program, the project must utilize new or significantly improved technology, avoid, reduce, or sequester greenhouse gases, be located in the US, although foreign ownership is possible, and have a reasonable prospect of repayment. So those are the two key loan programs. There's also a few tax credits that I'll flag, and there's many more in the IRA, but these ones are really critical for critical mineral projects. So the first one is the Advanced Manufacturing Production Credit, or the 45X credit, and that gives a tax credit equal to 10% of the costs incurred in respect of producing critical minerals, provided that the production occurs in the U.S., 
and that the minerals are sold to an unrelated party. Actually, this credit is not subject to phase out currently, so it will apply indefinitely. It can be transferred for cash, so you can sell the credit if you do not have sufficient tax liabilities to use it. And it's also refundable by the government, meaning for the first five years, if you're a for-profit entity, the government will write you a check for the amount of the credit. Another credit you'd have to look at is the Advanced Energy Project Credit, or the 48C credit. That's available to projects in the U.S. that re-equip, expand, or establish industrial facilities for processing, refining, or recycling critical minerals. And that's an investment tax credit, which starts at 6%, but can be increased to 30% if you meet prevailing wage and apprenticeship requirements. The final credit I'll flag is the Clean Vehicle Credit, 30D, and that's a $7,500 credit for customers that buy qualifying electric vehicles in the U.S. And to qualify for that credit, the vehicle must contain a threshold percentage of the value of critical minerals extracted or processed either in the U.S. or in a country in which the U.S. has a free trade agreement, which includes Australia. Although it may be difficult to see how Australian producers of critical minerals directly benefit from this consumer credit, it positions Australian producers as preferred suppliers of materials that are relatively rare in the U.S. currently. So those are a few key tax credits. Also note that there are a lot of different grant programs from the Department of Energy, the Environmental Protection Agency, and other agencies that could be relevant for critical mineral projects. Too many to cover in this podcast, but something to consider. Thanks, Sam. Well, that's all for this episode. Thanks to Sam and John and to you for listening to SNC Critical Insights. For more information about our practice, please visit us on the web at www.sulcrom.com.